Welcome back to the Industrial Transformation Podcast. I am Jeremy Frank, and I have the pleasure of sitting down today with Jay Call. Jay Call, many of you may know uh, better as the manufacturing millennial. Uh, Jake has built a large social media following and as an advocate for manufacturing, automation, digital transformation, and skilled trades, all things that I'm very interested in. He has a background in engineering, background also in uh, manufacturing, of course, and in, in entrepreneurship as well. So, Jake, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, wonderful. So glad to have a conversation with you. And I would probably like to just start off by just asking you, you know, why you why you're the manufacturing millennial. You know, what what drives your passion for this topic, and how did you how did you get going on this? Yeah, I mean, so so my background's been in the manufacturing automation space since I was a kid. I worked for a machine builder starting at 16 years old, um, and been in the industry ever since. The manufacturing millennial is the idea of well, besides having a good ring to it, um, it's it's to drive awareness to this younger generation that's entering the industry. Um, you know, even though the main the millennials as a as a generation are actually the largest workforce out there globally and the manufacturing they're not the largest workforce in fact we're one of the smaller ones behind the gen um the gen x's and the boomers um but the idea for the manufacturing millennials how do we better drive awareness to attracting a future workforce into manufacturing and how do manufacturers begin to leverage newer generations of technology that millennials and younger people are growing up with into their factory floor. Um, so for me, the, the whole idea and the brand of what I do as a manufacturer millennial is, you know, sharing content that's in a, a fun, engaging way that's going to help manufacturers do a better job of understanding what new technology is available, but then also using that technology in a way that's going to attract a future workforce that is going to be desperately needed when, you know, there'll be 2.2 to 2.6 million unfulfilled jobs by 2030. 2.2 to 2.6 million unfulfilled by 2030. What What is that number today? I don't know the exact number. I know there was, I think, 600,000 open jobs right now in manufacturing last month when I checked. Um, I mean, so but what we're going to be facing right now is as this this older generation of, of boomers, really the silver tsunami of retirement is going away. We're just going to see a skyrocket in demand. Um, you know, take take the welders, the, the, the skilled trade of welding, for example. Right now, there's about 550,000 um, uh, certified welders in the U.S. Uh, or, or welding positions, yet the average age of them is like 56 years old, I think, right now. So fast forward 10 years, well, a lot of these welders are probably not going to be in the factory floor when they're 60, you know, mid-60s. Um, What's going to fill that demand of, yeah. of all those skills leaving? And, and and that's just across all skilled trades. And it's not even just the skilled trades. It's just controls engineers, designers, programmers, the people who are coming up with the new technology and innovation to drive manufacturing forward. Um, it's a it's a critical industry that uh, is going to need a lot of help with uh, with future work. It's It's pretty shocking, really. I mean, I know we... We do a lot of work in the auto industry, oil and gas, paper and pulp industry. We see this challenge everywhere, and it seems to shift around. But it's bad everywhere. But you know, the auto industry specifically. I'm, I'm picturing Kentucky. I was at a meeting with one of our customers in Kentucky not long ago, and the the, the notable takeaway was that the labor workforce participation was 53 percent right now. And yeah. this huge notable brand is having you know positions that they used to 
post and get thousands of applicants for are just, they're not finding people. And so if that, if that's now, and it's going to get four times worse over the next eight years, it's, that's really a shocking, I mean, I, a lot of people talk about this, but it, uh, even for me, who talks about it and thinks about it a lot, that's pretty shocking that it's already oh, bad and it's going to get four yeah, times worse. Yeah, I mean, worse. especially with the numbers right now where they're saying the, the current unemployment rate as a whole in the U.S. is pretty stable to what it was pre-pandemic 2019. Yet there's still all these massive unfulfilled jobs in manufacturing. So what manufacturers are going to have to realize is their typical hireable workforce has moved on. They're in different industries now. Um, there's a lot of new opportunities that have opened up from, I mean, 10 years ago, how many people were driving in their car, hauling other people around that weren't a taxi driver or how many people were delivering food on the app, um, that people ordered. You have all these different, um, jobs that didn't exist 10 years ago that are pulling the market away. So you're going to see a lot of manufacturers need to find new ways to attract a new workforce and the workforce, you know, I hate to say it is no longer your, your common, um, middle-aged white male, you know, which is the stereotypical uh, of who the manufacturing in industry is. We need to become, as an industry, more diverse. We need to do a better job creating a work environment that's more um, inviting to women and minorities. And I think the, the biggest thing that we're going to be seeing changing that's changing that is the in the influx of new technology, where everyone, no matter what demographic they're coming from, um, is familiar with working with their phones, working with instantly accessible information, being able to leverage new technologies to approach how we're handling um, problems and how we're solving them. And if we can change the work environment, and how we do things uh, to make it more inviting, I think that's a, a massive way that manufacturers can help um, prepare for this upcoming issue of, of unemployment. And it's not just unemployment too, right? We're facing supply chain issues in manufacturing. So we're, you know, we're having manufacturers figure out, okay, now it's not just how do I get parts overseas? How do I have better accessibility to what my tier suppliers are doing and where they're getting their components from? So you see this data-centric idea of a more interconnected, um, centralized supply chain for manufacturers. You're seeing you know, other conversations that are happening in the industry right now are like, Cybersecurity is massive, right? As we implement new technologies in the manufacturing, which is important, what are all the risks that are coming in terms of, you know, phishing or cybersecurity attacks or um, ransomware is massive in the industry, right? You go out there and you have a PLC that's now protecting your network where they're going to go in and they're going to lock you out. They're going to shut down your machine. How are you going to fix that? You know, so there's all these different areas out there that manufacturer main, that manufacturers are going to have to start addressing uh, quickly if they're not already. I, I totally agree. And I, what I find fascinating about what you're doing, I mean, so we're we live that world. Our whole company is we, we put we, we're doing that, like the, the mm -hmm. technology, part, bringing that technology in to elevate people to go out and solve these problems, but also allows you to have a more resilient workforce that's more appealing, appealing to. Uh, other diverse groups, younger groups, people that are more familiar with technology. We're living that all day, every day. What I see that's so interesting about what you're doing is that the, the, I see a lot of people talking about this problem, you know, the, the silver tsunami, call it. Mm -hmm. There's a variety of names, but especially among the entrenched, you know, the large organizations that are the biggest manufacturers, but really just across the board, most people talk about this problem, but aren't actually aren't able to articulate what to do about it. Yeah. And what I see you doing is, is especially this piece of it, like increasing awareness and just 
create, you know, attracting these people and, and helping people realize that it's an attractive place to, to want to be employed. Can, yeah. I'm just so curious, like what you're doing there and why you're doing that. Yeah. I, I mean, for, for, for me, I think what needs to be happening right now is like you said, you have all these large companies that are doing that, but at the end of the day, large companies is not what's driving America. 98% of manufacturers in America are small companies under, you know, somewhere between hundred to 500 employees. That's the actual number. And when you look at where these manufacturers are getting their labor force from, it's locally. So how do manufacturers do a better job working locally with their communities to help drive better engagement, to get kids excited about manufacturing? Um, you know, so I'm a huge advocate of how do we help develop manufacturers to go into local high schools and community colleges to say, look at this career path beyond just your typical four-year degree that you can be a part of with manufacturing and create a great, hanging, sustainable, long-term career. Um, but the big thing as well that I think is, is really important is how do we dispel the myths that manufacturing is this dark, dirty, dangerous, dull environment? And in some cases it is, and it will continue to be that way depending on what your industry is, right? You're not going to be walking into a steel, uh, a steel mill industry and expecting it to look like a clean white floor of a manufacturing circuit plant. Uh, they're different, right? But what the general consensus is, regardless of what industry you're using, how are you leveraging technology to make younger lives entering the workforce either? How do we create a better retention rate um, in the area? So like what I do is, is really pushing manufacturers is how do we, I, I love sharing content on LinkedIn of exciting new things that are happening in manufacturing because I want, I want end users and manufacturers to have a better understanding of what solutions that are out there that are working successfully. It's not just a theoretical lab demonstration. It's an actual manufacturing process and what problems are we solving? Um, and by leveraging automation, I'm a firm believer that robots create jobs. They don't take jobs. Um, robots remove people from boring, dull, repetitive, high turnover tasks that then end up costing the manufacturer more money because they, because they have to retrain and reuse people. Um, I'd rather automate that cell that's a high turnover rate, create a better skilled position that hopefully that manufacturer then can train their current employees to learn and then create a better value for everybody. Um, and I think where my, my, I guess you could say, you know, Jeremy is, is where my push for getting more millennials and Gen Z's involved is they are the people that are the most familiar with new technology, right? You know, KCF, you guys have a, a lot of interesting technology when it comes to condition monitoring, remote access and all that stuff. Well, where does a lot of that take place? It takes place on a cell phone. It takes place on the iPad. It takes place on the internet through a web browser. Well, what was once imita very um, uh, imitating for a older generation, such as a boomer or a later Gen X, and on installing an app, setting something up, connecting devices, creating a dashboard, that sounds very intimidating for an older generation, yet younger generations are doing that just for fun through games and through apps. I mean, a great example is um, last year there was like 16 million 3D printers sold in the U.S., to households. Well, 3D printer is a form of additive manufacturing. It's a manufacturing process, but a lot of younger generations are pulling it up because it's exciting. It's fun. They can put, they can design something in online through a software, create it digitally, and then print it and see a physical device. 
that's exciting. That's happening. The same thing with like raspberry pie, pies and Arduino boards, right? You have all these younger generations that are excited about being the tinkerers of this new technology where an older technology, you know, older generations had erector sets and link logs and Lego and all this other stuff. It's just, we enjoy tinkering. It's just, we love tinkering digitally and solutions. And how can we then, like I said, leverage manufacturers to take solutions that are digital on a very common device that everyone holds every day, which is a cell phone and connect the people, connect younger generation skills to a solution that a manufacturer can be benefited from. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I agree. I see it happening. I don't, I mean, I see what you're doing is really important just because attracting, you know, diversity, whether it's ethnic or gender diversity in is it's, it's really important, but it's definitely not happening enough. And so anybody that's working on that is just, is just vital. I'm curious. And I want to go a little deeper on that. I want to start with the different sectors. So from what you're doing, I imagine you get exposed to, you know, we're in auto manufacturing over here, oil and gas over there, forest products, building products, chemicals. Are there certain industries and or certain like regions in, in our country or other countries where you see different patterns where it's either going better or worse in terms of solving the labor problem and getting more diversity into the workforce? <sighs> I mean, great question. I, I think there was a, I can't remember exactly what book it was, Jerry, but there was an article about Years ago, when steel companies wanted to build a new building, they, they chose it not based necessarily on resources, but what the, where the labor was, right? A lot of the, that's why you sometimes see a lot of these manufacturing plants in the middle of, far, uh, of middle country is because they said, if I can hire a bunch of farmers to come and work for me who have a good um, work ethic, we can train them on how to run skills. So I think, you know, it's, it's that mantra of what we did 20, 30 years ago of how to attract people into manufacturing. Well, today it's a lot harder when you're um, when you're competing with a bunch of different industries. So in terms of sectors where it's harder to get jobs, I, I don't know for certain where that is. All I do know is that the battle for labor in most circumstances is local. Um, and, and so... If you're a manufacturer that's just going to be expecting people when they graduate high school to come knock on your door to come and say, hey, I want to work for you because they saw there was a sign hiring out front and they normally just went in, they filled out some paperwork and they said, okay, you start at 8 a.m. tomorrow. That's not the case anymore with what manufacturing is or people just walking up to you to apply. You need to go out and what I would call as as the, prere the prerequisite interview is you need to go and engage with that audience or your future workforce before you even think that they're going to come and work for you one day. Um, so to answer your question, is it is it a specific industry? No, it's every industry right now. They're battling labor shortages across the board. Is it any location or region? No. I, I mean, it's one of those things where different states are battling different areas. I, I think one of the things that we look at is it's also what other companies or what other markets are entering in that industry. For example, I'm in West Michigan. Well, when this uh, giant company that rolled in that at one point in time sold a bunch of books, and now they're an online distributor that you can buy anything with two-day shipping, that rolls in. Well, geez, uh, a lot of manufacturers lost a ton of their workforce overnight to go work for company A. 
Um, and, and, and that's and that's not just my area. I hear stories of down in Ohio where um, Whirlpool's located, where Amazon opened up some massive distribution centers there, and all of a sudden their labor force it gets pulled out of manufacturing to go work in the warehouse distribution center. So it's not just even a regional thing. It's like people are manufacturers are no longer competing with another manufacturer down the street. They're competing with every other industry that's out there now as a general pool of labor. And this, so yeah, I hear that. So it's basically the problem is shared and uniform. Yeah. Um, and I want to come back to the company size thing, but first, you know, what, what you were talking about before, and I certainly live this, see this, the adoption of technology that actually elevates people, it replaces the mundane, it replaces the dangerous, dull and dirty jobs, some of them, many of them, ideally most of them, and it creates better jobs, but it also creates this resilience and the ability to engage people. That's the, a path. It's not the only path, but do you see that happening better or worse anywhere? You know, the... Um, the solution to the problem, do you, are you, what patterns are you seeing and who is adopting or who is not? Or are you, do you see everyone being kind of cut with their pants down? Yeah, I, mean, I, I see companies, you know, industry 4.0 is a terminology of it's not it's not a technology. It's not a specific solution. It's a cultural change. But within this technology, I see manu, man, the manufacturers who are winning are adapting technology that makes a, a process that is a manual process for a worker less strenuous. If that's physically, that's, you know, that's an option. If it's mentally, that's another option. If it's decision-making, that's another option. Um, you know, for example, there, there, there's, there's a solution out there that puts, puts projected light onto a table. And that it digitally instructs the operator through projected light how to assemble a series of manual parts together. I've, I've seen solutions where an operator was manually doing this. They were following a three-ring binder going page by page by page to see how they're doing this manual assembly where they said, this is boring. It's mundane. There's a lot of errors. There's a lot of critical things. It's very high in training. Well, when a company who's an automotive company adapted this solution, now all of a sudden the operator is is the, the, the manual process is guiding the operator through a, a – a, an individual for a simulated step every time and checking the quality of that step where it's something that can't be fully automated because it's too low of a part, uh, a batch run to fully build in a bunch of robots and automations and all that and, and PLCs, all this stuff, but it's enough to help guide an operator through something. That's where I'm seeing the biggest benefit from is, well, first of all, right now, if you want a new piece of automation equipment on your floor, you're eight months out a year out, right? So, I mean, even if like you said, you know what, we're going to automate this. If you wrote a company a check today, you're not getting it till maybe Q1 of 2023, Q2 of 2023. So what are the, what are the changes now that you can implement that are going to start making a difference? I think a lot of that has to do with um, uh, guiding manual processes, uh, making condition monitoring and preventive maintenance an easier task for operators. Um, leveraging augmented reality to guide operators through training, uh, creating better work instructions for, for people. So if they're going out there and they need to complete a job one day of all these different parts that needed to either put through a press or an injection molding machine or assemble, they're not going up to a timesheet and pulling postcards 
out of an area and then having to wheel over there and, and get all the parts and supplies. It's all digitally. It's printed out. It's fully traceable. So how manufacturers are winning in the current state is by leveraging simple solutions in the digital space to make the worker, to make the, the, the operation of a worker easier. And that's where I see a lot of wins happening right now. So there's a really interesting distinction there that I, others on this podcast have talked about. Um, Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Liker, notably, he's, he wrote the Toyota Way book, studied up on lean manufacturing a lot. And I, I think there's parallels of that. There's something really interesting because I, I used five years ago, 10 years ago, I mean, we've been, we've been in this game for a long time, building technology for smart manufacturing. And um, ten, five years ago, especially 10 years ago, people used to talk about the dark factory, black, you know, factory that's fully automated, no people, and, and you know, all automatic, all automatic, everything sensorized and um, as, as the ideal. People used to talk about that as the ideal. And if you talk to, you know, like Jeffrey, the, Dr. Liker's point of view is that that's really not the ideal because more of what you're describing, you know, projecting onto a table so that a person can do the job. The person's still there, but doing it faster, safer, more effectively, less wear and tear. Same thing. I mean, we're right. We're in that condition monitoring PDM world, um, mm -hmm. you know, just eradicating machine health issues. But we don't try to make it automatic. Like hypothetically, you could have auto loop systems with machines that self, you know, do their own maintenance. And maybe one day that'll happen. But the, the point of view that it's actually the ideal to have an elevated person who's there in building and learning and participating rather than a location where the person is not there. I'm curious, do you see, have you, have you thought on that or do you have any uh, opinions in that category? So you, so you're saying like remote accessibility? I, I can, so, so if you took the industry 4.0, right? Industry yeah. 4.0 as an ideal, the ideal, if you just read, you know, lots of people will write their paragraph about what that means. And yeah, it varies a bit, but generally data everywhere, perfect analysis that happens automatically and uh, a lot of problems go away because we have the all the right information we have all the right automation and um and it, the technology almost uh eliminates the need for people and learning yeah. whereas it, to some extent it runs counter to lean manufacturing which is that the person who is at the gemba the person close to the problem is absolutely the most important thing because that's where the learning happens yeah that, that's the question like which, which one do you see as the ideal I, I don't know. I, I think it's so circumstantial. I think a lot of times we try and um, we try and create a solution around a specific idea instead of trying to create a solution around a specific problem. Hmm. Um, and, you know, like the idea of lean, for example, is, is like lean manufacturing is the old industry 4.0 and a lot of areas, you know, where lean manufacturing at one point in time was the buzzword. Um, but at the end of the day, I always I always laugh when I, I walk into manufacturing facilities and they say, oh, yeah, we're a lean manufacturer. And I'm like, no, you're not. I think there was actually a study out there where only 10% of the companies who actually said they were in lean manufacturing were actually lean manufacturing. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, think it's, I think it's important for a lot of applications where we, we do build the solution around the operator. And then in some cases, we build the operator around the solution. Um, and... Elon Musk, I think, had a great quote, um, Tesla, two or three years ago when he was building his first gigafactory, and he had this idea that he would just automate everything. 
And I think after he found out, and there was a lot of struggles with quality and startup, I, I think one of his quotes were, he said, he said operators are very um, underappreciated or something like that, or the human is a very underappreciated tool. Um, Underrated, so I, I think. Yeah, I, I remember that, yeah. You know, I think it's a great story where here he had this idea of automating everything is the best solution. I don't care how much money I spend on it. Well, he literally had as much money as he wanted to spend on it, but he still learned that humans can create opportunity and better quality than automation can. So it's one of those things that in some cases, yeah, it was 100% a better idea to put in a robot there. And honestly, other some other cases, nope, a human operator is going to be the best. And that's just because the, the operation and – and changes are too dynamic. Yeah. The, the other thing I hear you saying in that is that, it, so it's situational, but the other thing is that humans being what they are, kind of the herd mentality, people love their buzzwords and they love to talk about stuff without necessarily doing anything to solve the problem. And yeah. whether whether you call it one thing or the other, it's, it's all about, are you actually creating an improved situation that's addressing the problem or not? Uh, and yeah, I, I definitely- That was the quote. So yeah, April, April 14, 2018, Elon Musk says humans are underrated. underrated. Excessive automation is a mistake. I mean, yeah, so right. I think that's one of those things that, you know, granted, Tesla's a lot different than it was in 2018 today. Maybe if you're looking at stock prices or the cars are producing or whatever. Um, but I think it's something to, to keep aware of is where do you find the value? In? And that's why I think it's one of those things where companies roll out and want to do a digital transformation strategy. And there's companies out there that say, follow these 10 steps. To, to, to build out your digital transformation. It's like, there's no step process because every company is different. You're telling me a Honeywell Aerospace, which is a billion dollar company that has 50 different manufacturing facilities in the US is gonna be the same as a, a $100 million company or a $50 million company. There's the, every, every solution's different. Yeah, yeah, that's just most, most things, it's yeah. all con context, right? It, well, context and it's people. So let's come back to that. I want to I want to come back to the kind of the core thing of what you're doing. So you're you're taking on this major, you know, focus of your life to solve yeah. the and brand. You know, you're branding around the millennial, but really it's just whether it's millennial, it's digitals, it's women, it's just uh, other ethnicities that haven't been represented as much in manufacturing. Where what are you finding is working? Like what, what when when do you find that you're telling your story and you're you're finding that that really resonates with people and they say, oh my gosh, I really believe what Jake's saying. And I, I do want to go pursue that, whether it's in my local community or I want to get a degree from a community college or an engineering school and get into manufacturing because now I've seen the light and I realize how much future there is here. Where, where do you see that working? Yeah. I mean, some of the success stories that I've heard is, um, you know, I've probably gotten since I made a post like six months ago of me going back to my local school where I went to, and I went and gave a highlight of what is manufacturing in 2022, uh, or is, I think it was manufacturing in, in 2020 or something like that. I can't remember. Um, and, I, and I made a post about it. I said, I challenge you to go do the exact same thing. You have so much skill right now, and you are the only person who can go out and tell other people that manufacturing is not just dirt, uh, dark, dirty, dangerous industry anymore. Go make that change. And I probably had... I would say at least, you know, 15 people messaged me, Jeremy, saying, oh, yeah, I went and did this. And I went back and I talked at my local university of uh, upcoming graduates. Or I went in and, um, you know, for the kids' career day in, in high school or their, I think it was 
I can't remember. It was like um, the next on track or something like that, you know, where it was encouraging juniors. What are you going to start doing when you hit your senior year? Where are you going to go? Um, and, and and by pushing that post and encourage a lot of other people to go out and do the same because they're saying, listen, if Jake's doing it, there's no reason why I can't do it. And I really think that's that's where the change is going to be. You know, you and I, we can make as many posts as we want online about all these great ideas. But if you're not making your own initiative in your local community, I think that's where the greatest opportunity is lost. You know, what are you doing as an engineer to go and volunteer at your local first high school robotics program that's happening? You know, what are you doing to encourage your kids who are young to do a Lego League or a first robotics or a science Olympiad or, or all these other STEM programs that are out there? Um, what are you doing to sit down and have a conversation with the guidance counselor at that high school and saying, you're encouraging all these kids to go there, but do you have the latest information on what manufacturing has to offer them? If you don't, love to share with you about what manufacturing as a career could do. And here's 10 companies right now that have trades programs locally where if that kid wants to leave high school and he doesn't want to go into college, great. Have him call up this company and say, I want to be a part of your electrical trade apprentice program. I want to be a part of your HVAC program. I want to go and I want to work at a machine shop and I want you to teach me how to do machining on a lathe or a manual mill. Or I want you to teach me how to weld. I think a lot of that stuff is the, the perception of when I was in high school and I remember sitting down with my guidance counselor, the discussion of skilled trades never came up or entering the workforce and going through an apprentice program never came up. For me, it was like, hey, Jake, here's your GPA. This was your ACT store. Great. You can go to the University of Michigan. You can go to Purdue. You can go to MSU. What do you want to do? And like, that's just the options that they gave me. He said, You're, you should go get a four-year degree and do this. And, 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 and I'm not saying I regret what I did. I, I'm glad with the engineerings that I got. But I think one of the, a lot of times is we're not giving young kids enough awareness on what can be a great opportunity for them. A kid who might love manufacturing might not be the best at differential equations. And he might leave the industry completely because he was intimidated by physics and math courses, even though he would have been a great designer, you know, he would have been a great fabricator. So, so giving better awareness to locally, I think is, is utmostly, you know, Jeremy, where I see the biggest change happening with these conversations is having, having direct conversations and making the change that way. Yeah. I see, you know, the one thing I would add that I've seen you do that, that augments that it, it feeds it, but just the, um, Connecting with those that are part of this ecosystem of getting the word out. You know, I, I caught a um, you hosted a panel discussion with a few people that I've actually followed up and talked with uh, Sherry McCleary, Sherry McCleary from the Penn State Digital Foundry, mm -hmm. for, for one, uh, John Dyke from the from Sesame. Yeah, yeah this, the, 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 it was the Sesame workshop, smart, uh, clean energy, smart manufacturing uh, center. It's yeah, it's, it's a great it's a it's a government funded. It's actually like one of like seven, one of nine or one of 17 uh federally funded programs that are designed to help manufacturers leverage new technology. Um, yep. And and that's exactly what's happening. So a lot of those innovation centers actually, so that's part of my day job. We haven't talked about that at all, but you know, I, my day job is I work for Fine Zelstra. We're an industrial tech company that helps manufacturers adapt new technology and solutions through through technology. Um, and we're building out our, our own smart manufacturing innovation center. So in West Michigan, we're gonna have all these different demonstrations of augmented reality, digital work instructions, preventative maintenance, robots, 
Um, and the whole idea is to better educate manufacturers on what new technology is out there. And that's what, you know, we're part of that SESB organization doing. Love it. We'll have to get you some sensors and some software to let's do it. How easy it is. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, I just a couple more questions I, uh, that I, uh, want to ask you really for your perspective on where things are going and, um, you know, th this broad problem of, you know, being four times worse than we are today, eight years from now in 2030, yeah. like talking about where we're going to be in 2024, where we're going to be in 2022, where we're going to be in 2030 is kind of scary in some ways based on what you've described and studied. And a lot of people have looked at it. Um, what, you know, what I'm curious to ask you is out of, out of all the different aspects of this problem that, that we, that, that are described by that, by that mm -hmm. shortage of workers and everything else. Um, what, what's the part that, that motivates you the most? Like what's the, and what's the one thing that the problem that if you think you could just snap your fingers and make it go away and have it be actually twice as good in 2030 instead of twice as bad, what would that thing be? <laughs> oh man. Um, great question. What's the one thing that I could snap my fingers in and, and make change? Um, I would say it would be removing the fear of people in manufacturing that technology makes their life harder. Hmm. Um, and, and if, if people I think were better um, or were, were more comfortable with how to properly integrate new technology and solutions and not just integrate the product, but act on the product, I think we would see a massive change in manufacturing. We industry 4.0, a lot of the initiatives have failed because the technology was available and the technology was right for them. It's just the cultural, um, the cultural approach of how they went about it is what is what was incorrect. So if we could get a bet, if we could, as a manufacturing company, better leverage the technology that's out there in a way that it was designed to be used and, and culturally act on how we um make critical changes and decisions on the data, I think that would dramatically impact of, of, of how we approach manufacturing. And I think a lot of, of, you know, the discussion of greenfield versus brownfield manufacturing, I think a lot of greenfield manufacturing gets that because it's a new solution, but old manufacturing, it's, it's, a, it's a high risk of implementing a new solution. And if we can better educate the audiences out there of how this new technology is going to benefit them in the long run, I think that's how we solve that long term, you know, four times the unemployment that we're facing now in the next year just because we're never we're never going to get that excuse me, we're never going to get that um that labor market back ever in manufacturing. We're never going to have the resources or the audience of um uh, or employees available to fill that need. So we're going to have to leverage something differently. That's what automation's creating. Um yeah. and if we can make if we can make the the human um i'm trying to, i'm trying to remember um jeremy i, I was actually just in, in um i was in cleveland last week and there was a skill that rated the productivity of an operator over time and in manufacturing i think the us ranked like 20th in terms of productivity 
per per dollar amount produced of the capital of the U.S. And we've actually declined in productivity over time through that operator. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we bump up that productivity operator? It's allowing the, the worker to make better decision makings and removing the boring, repetitive labor tasks out of manufacturing. Yeah, it's really, it's fascinating perspective that I would, I mean, the only thing I would add to that is that as a technologist, you know, starting a technology company to kind of come in and solve that problem. I think it's on us. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons we've been so successful is that we, it's easy to, to think, to approach it the other way where you build technology that just eliminates the people or doesn't honor the person who's actually there doing the work. So it's one thing to say that the people need to be more receptive, but I think that the technology builders need to be building technology that's built to elevate people rather than failing to you know respect the knowledge and the expertise that they have, which I've seen a lot of companies fall into that path. And it's uh, I think that's where they've struggled a lot. Yeah, Very last I mean, question before we wrap yeah. up the um, the uh, where do you think it's going to be? Or, like, do you think so? That's that's the problem you wish you could snap fingers and solve. Where do you personally think it's going to be in 2030? You think the predictions are right and the, the world is screwed and we're just no. going to fall off the, or no. we're going to solve this thing? No, I think I mean manufacturing will always continue to be a backbone of the U.S. economy. Um, I think what we need to be very cautious of is I, I think we are going to see a continued critical shift in the supply chain uh, domestically with a lot of product being uh, produced more locally or at least manufacturers having a better grasp of, of supply chain issues. I think by 2030, so we could say eight years, seven and a half years from now, where are we going to be? Um, I sure hope we're different than we, you know, looking back seven and a half years from now with the adaption of new technology. Uh, if, if I were to put an outlook on it, uh, in, in, in 2030, we are going to, oh man, I can't even tell you what manufacturing do six months from now, let alone seven and a half years, right? I, I, I got a, I got a quote today or last week where we want to order nine PLCs, and I got a 175-day lead time on it. So it's just like I can't do anything anyway right now. Uh, seven, seven and a half years from now, where are we going to be, Jeremy? I would say we're going to be in a manufacturing state where um, we're going we're gonna to be struggling with a lot of skills that were lost due to people retiring. Uh, the, the, the labor force is a, a critical thing where we're – People are retiring, but I think a lot of it is the knowledge that's going to be lost along with it. So a lot of manufacturers are going to be in a discovery state of trying to figure out how to produce um, products and components that were that were lost by people who, who left the industry or retired. Um, I think as well, we're going to have a, a critical state of there will be a lot of manufacturing companies that might not be around in the next five to 10 years because they didn't adapt technology into their manufacturing processes and and that resulted in them not attracting a new workforce that uh that resulted in a lot of small to medium sized manufacturers right now where the owners are in their mid-50s early 60s and they don't have the ability to sell that company and move along and there's no one there to take up the reins and 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 move it forward and the value proposition they offer is minimal because there's nothing to support them all the knowledge is built into the workers themselves who are all retiring as well so you're going to see a lot of manufacturing companies i think in the next few years maybe 
no longer being there, being around simply because they refuse to um, to adapt to new uh, the the new, I guess you could say, digital manufacturing. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the, the transformation itself, the adaptation is going to be a key, key element of survival. I mean, I would just add to that from what I'm seeing a lot. And you've touched on this, too. A lot of the large organizations um, are, I think, similarly will struggle and many of them will fail just because they have a harder time with change. And so, yeah. Oh, and yeah. those, so some of, we're already seeing that we see this in the oil and gas, gas industry. There's uh, some major players have been displaced by midsize companies because they're just adapting better and transforming better. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that's a great point, right? Whoever whoever can change the fastest is going to be the winner at the end of the race. Like, you know, I'm not going to get it. I could have a conversation around Tesla, but why does Tesla have a higher valuation all the automotive companies? Well, which automotive company do you think if something needs to change, how, how quickly is that going to change? You know, right. if something needed to happen six months from now, tell me which money, where would you bet your money? Uh, in terms of uh, a new car coming out or a new technology, where would you bet your money? I know where I would bet it. Yep, that's where I drive. I start. I started, by the way, back in 2018 for kind of the same reasons you were talking about. I just wanted to bet. I wanted to help encourage them uh, the success. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's so cool to watch that develop. Um, yeah, I mean that. The uh, maybe the closing word on that is uh, something we repeat here a lot: is that it used to be that the the big eat the small fish but it's the the fast eat the slow fish is the way yeah. of, the, of the present and the future which supports everything you're saying i uh, i feel like i could talk to you about these topics all day and i um i really enjoy it jake i just would just uh really just give you kudos for what you're doing i think this is really important work in addition to your day job and i just encourage you to keep doing it and getting the word out because it is i just it's really important stuff uh anything you'd like to say in closing um, no, not at all. If you uh, want to follow me on LinkedIn, you just can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just search Jake Hall or the Manufacturer Millennial. Or if you want more information, you can go to the manufacturermillennial.com. Um, my information is there or follow me on all the social stuff. But I guess my challenge to the audience here is um, who, who are in manufacturing, uh, start working local. You, you can make the biggest change and the biggest impact yourself by, uh, by getting involved locally with your community. Yeah, I love it. Thanks so much for the message and for being with us. Again, it's Jake Hall, and uh, Jake Hall is the Manufacturing Millennial. I'm Jeremy Frank, and this is the Industrial Transformation Podcast. Thanks a lot.